it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And welcome in, everybody, to the Landry Football Podcast. I am Chris Landry, and it is Thursday, March 11th. Great to be with you today, as always. Always appreciate your support, your contributions into the show. So um, we love doing the show live on Twitch, and certainly most of you listen to this show in podcast form through the great folks at Radio Influence. But we're trying to... Increase listenership both ways and certainly want your support in doing that. Um, we have got a number of things to get to today. We are got a question about NCAA investigators and fraction committee, how things asking me if things have changed over the years. They have. I'm going to answer that. Um. I have talked to death, a little bit tired of talking about it, but I want to honor what your requests are, um, kind of what happened in the LSU Les Miles situation. I'll go over it again. Um, and then there's a question of how did the story of how Les Miles got the LSU job and kind of a brief history on that. So we'll get into that. Certainly want to address that for you. Um, we had some some really good questions sent in email, and we certainly can do that. And certainly we'll take your your comments in the thread and and get into a lot of this. I want to get into um, what to expect with NFL free agency, as that is starting um, basically this week. Um, we're going to get into that. And a question about scouting and workouts and metrics and things that you look for and – those things are really uh, interesting, I guess, to folks. And, and I want to explain a little bit about why we do certain things. What is the reason for it? So we're going to get into that. Um, and, you know, who could we see some activity from the start of this league year? So a lot to get to today, and we're going to mix in everything uh, that relates um to some of these topics, but others we're, we're welcome. You're welcome to take us in a different direction. We've again, got some questions, but as I make comments on things or as you have maybe certain things on your mind, we're going to certainly address it. So again, we appreciate everybody joining us. Um, you can catch us live on, um, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football. Um, but listen to us through the radio influence, um, podcast where you can catch us. Um, want to remind you real quick too, about what we've got going on at Landry football. Very proud of that. And we're expanding and doing different things. So right now up on Landry football, we've got all our free agency information. What does that really mean? We've had the free agent boards up for a while. We've had the scouting reports now for a while. Um, so you've got that to work with. We've got, team-by-team team breakdowns, needs, evaluations of their situations, how many picks, and that's important to understand in free agency, as well as, uh, obviously, <clears throat> players they could be targeting. <clears throat> but I've finished up yesterday um, the position-by-position position analysis of every, in, every player in the NFL. So you can get a grade. And what does the grade mean 
for each position in the NFL. Very important to have, regardless of who's a free agent and who's not. Really important to understand that. Why? You've heard me say it before. If it's repetitive, I apologize, but I think it's important for those who maybe haven't heard it again um, to, to repeat it again. Free agency is a fluid process. People will get released. As we go live on this show, Eric Fisher, great tackle, early draft pick by the Kansas City Chiefs, AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs, has been released. Um, he's now on the market. So he wasn't a free agent as of the, well, now he's going to be a free agent. How did he grade out? What's his situation? What's his cap number? What's his injury situation? All important, and that's part of what pro personnel free agency, pro personnel is about, is understanding everything from a free agency standpoint, from a you-may-play-against-them standpoint, getting ready to play an upcoming opponent. But then also you have to be prepared, not just for free agency, big spending, next week, can't wait, yada, yada. It's also about guy gets released. Does he have value? What is the value? Does he fit for us? He doesn't fit for us. What have you? He fits, but he doesn't fit the, the salary cap structure. All of those things are pertinent and are very integral to how you run a pro personnel department, an NFL team. So that's what we provide for you, that we have a grade of every player. Guy gets released. Where did he grade last year? Was he was he a red? Was he a purple? Did he... Did he grade out in the oranges? Important to know. Important to know what you're getting. You may be aware of the player's name, his history, but how good is he really? That's what we provide for you. So uh, we've got that. Uh, obviously, been working on the draft. Going to be bringing out the draft boards for you and scouting reports on that, along with the staples, the college football notebooks which has everything, has some draft nuggets in it. It has recruiting information in it, uh, class of 22, 23, transfer information, spring practice nuggets. We got it all for you there. In the NFL notebooks, obviously a lot pertaining to these releases, contract restructuring um, as of up until Tuesday for the past week, you know, who's tagged and who's not. Um, and then it'll be anticipation of the start of free agency next week with a lot of detail. So it never stops for us, and we're excited to take advantage of our scouting season discount as well. I mentioned it, that we are working on a new project that we're excited about, and it's the War Room Newsletter. For those of you that just want more, and what I mean by that, not more volume, but I get this a lot. Um what's really happening with this situation or that situation. And some of it is really not comfortable to mention in a forum like this or on LandryFootball.com even. But, you know, it is something you tend to discuss with people in a private manner. You know, so what we're going to do is in that, war room membership family is we're going to provide that information to you in an email. We're going to be able to answer all your specific questions. They may behind the scenes of the internet. What's really going on in a particular meeting with your favorite team on draft prospects. What's going on about some of the decisions that they're making in the season, out of season, what's going on um, on coaching staffs or issues at a, your favorite college, whatever the case may be. Um, we can, I can get it for you, find out and kind of be your inside source. And a lot of it came about to do with the work I do for college programs and NFL teams with coaching searches, helping scouting searches, a lot of different things, a lot of different avenues helping with that. You unearth a lot of information. Yeah, there's a lot of talk. It's not really shared publicly, but you share it privately. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of people, particularly a lot of loyal listeners and subscribers to LandryFootball.com that may want to know more that are interested in, you know, I would feel comfortable with sharing with it. 
you know, uh, I understand that people tend to talk, but I, I, I want to make it a little bit more of a private club. We'll, we'll share information. And obviously it is something that we're going to keep between us as much as possible on a, on a uh, honor system. It, it's, it's going to be a little more pricey, but it is, it's going to be worth it for those that are truly interested. So the serious, either the serious fan or someone that really wants to know, really wants to support what we do. So we're going to have that out. Look for that. It's going to be labeled the, the war room. And so um, be sure to check that out coming forward. Uh, also looking at uh, a scouting academy to add to what we are doing. Um, we've had a lot of interest in folks that are in, that want to learn more about scouting, want to learn more about how to evaluate players, uh, maybe want to get into the business or just want to learn more for better enjoyment. We're going to have a little bit of an a la carte session where one-on-one, yeah, there are services and companies out there that almost make it like a, you know, a class where you have to pay a good bit of money and, you know, read a book and do this assignment. Well, I think that if you're going to help somebody, this would be like one-on-one tutorial. And uh, I think this would be something I know I've been asked. It's, it's uh, something that people are interested. So obviously look for those two things as well. We're looking to add uh, to the, to our channel, our football channel on Twitch TV, and we'll have information on that. So anyway, that's i I've gone a little bit too far in that, but those are things that, are really important. So I want to get into a couple of things and we'll get to the NCAA and the, the LSU stuff in a bit, but I get asked about because pro days are going on right now. And I, and I see uh, your questions. Um, you know, the we certainly appreciate you doing that. We're going to integrate it into the show. Thank you, Kevin, Jeffrey, starts us off with a question. Good morning, Chris. You always say that the best value is through the NFL draft. Can you break down the Herschel Walker trade and how far ahead of his time was Jimmy Johnson with use in the draft? Um, look, I, I don't think Jimmy was far ahead at all. I, I think he, man, uh, he managed to get the Vikings um, and Mike Lynn into a bad trade. And um, he got a lot of picks, but what he did, he tied picks to the player that were traded. Remember, he traded for a bunch of players. Well, what he did was, and this was a poor job by Mike Lynn, is so they traded for, you know, like eight or nine players. But there was a draft round pick tied to each player if they didn't make the team. And that was the real key. Jimmy didn't want any of those players, but, Release this guy, gets a third-round pick. Release this guy, gets a fourth-round pick. So he accumulated a lot of picks. He missed on a lot of players um, in the draft like anybody else. He just had a lot of extra picks. So what's the what do they say in sales? You know, it's prospecting and, you know, it's what, a 1% rule? So if you contact 50 people or 500 people or 5,000 people or 50,000 people or 500,000 people, 1% of all those numbers obviously is a greater number, better chance of of getting some of those folks. So that's kind of what he did. I, I, I mean, I, I give him a lot of credit. I know Jimmy. I think he's done a good job. I don't know about ahead of his time. I, I think personally what happened was – they were a little bit more public about what they did and how they did it than others. So it's kind of like, you know, and I have a ton of respect for like Bill Walsh and the West Coast offense, but a lot of the concepts of the West Coast offense were being done before that. One of the uh, main guys was Bob Schnelker. may not be aware of him, but he coached for Bud Grant of the Vikings and, and the Jerry Burns of the Vikings. Jerry was offense coordinator for a while for the Vikings and Bud. But a lot of the things they did with Fran Tarkenton and Chuck Foreman were kind of precursors to some of the things that they did West Coast style. And, and, it, and it is not a whole lot of original things. It's more football's constantly evolving and, and changing, but based upon certain things. In, in terms of the draft, it's like, well, the Cowboys had this trade chart and it revolutionized it, it it I had trade charts before Jimmy was in Jerry and those guys were in the league and Jerry really wasn't involved with it but 
they had somebody put together a chart for them that would give certain value for the draft. Let me explain something. I'll get into more of this as we get closer to the draft. Trade tar- trade charts can be found on the internet left and right. They're not accurate. And let me tell you why. A numerical value for a, a pick is of no use at all. What you're doing is putting a value on the player you can get with that pick. So you can take numbers like any grading scale. That's what a draft chart is. You're grading the pick, not the player, but the pick. So the value of the number one pick, the value of the number two pick, the value of the 350th pick, 287th pick is worth X. Well, no, it's kind of like analytics that factor in everybody and doesn't bring to the specific situation that you're in. The pick itself has to be tied to your draft uh, uh, board and to how you value the players in the draft and how good you think certain players are at one, two, five that you can get. So, for example, the first pick in the draft is not worth the same amount every year. It depends on who's the best player. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is worth a little bit more than maybe the first pick in other drafts. The fifth pick may be worth more or less this year relative, depending on how you've got the players set up on your board. So putting a numerical value is just the first step of trying to figure out trade chart value and trade value in the whole. So the way it works is, okay, if I'm picking at the 10th pick and I like certain players, but I don't love them, meaning I can take any one of six players on my board because I've got it graded equally. Well, it makes sense if you can find a partner to move down six spots, doesn't it? Because by definition, your board says whether I'm at 10 or at 16, let's say 10 or at 15, I'm going to get the same graded player. So if I can move down to 15 and pick up an extra pick, what I am doing is literally saying one of these six guys, we're going to get one of these. In this order, we'd prefer them, but they're all in the same grade plateau. So we're going to get one of those guys. And oh, by the way, here over here with that fourth round pick or fifth round pick we're going to get, we're going to get one of these cluster of guys. You're looking at it. Literally, you're making trades for player. It's just that players that haven't been drafted yet, but and it's not specifically one player. You're saying we can get one of these guys. We're guaranteed to get one of these guys here, and we're guaranteed to get one of these guys here. Numbers will tell you that. So that's where it becomes real. That's where it becomes now we got two players. So if you're trading a player on another team, well, you know you're trading this player for these two players. But you're doing the same thing in the draft. It's just you know the group of players that you would take with those picks, whereas on the outside, they're just, eh, it's just a fifth-round pick. Here's the other thing. Why why do people care about it to collect all these seventh-round picks, and what do you do with this? Seventh-round picks, six-round picks are valuable. Let me tell you why. A, you might find a player that you really like. B, it's a sweetener in a trade to move up maybe 15 spots or 10 spots in the second round to get a guy that you have a first-round grade on, a guy or move up in the fourth round that you have a high second-round grade on. See, you're, you're going after a player that you really covet, and that extra sixth, that extra seventh, gives you something to trade. And now that we get compensatory selections that can be traded, they're even more value because you can use them in trade bargaining too, which is why you have to factor that into free agency. You lose players, you don't sign players, you get extra picks. Here's the other thing. You want to, you really like a player. Maybe it's a lineman, an offensive or defensive lineman. And in a rare case, another team 
has depth on the roster. So when it comes down to the final 53 cuts, you see that there's somebody, they're going to have a guy that they can't keep and they can't stash. They're going to lose. Any one of these three that they release would really help us, would upgrade us at the defensive line position as our fourth tackle, rotational guy. There are a couple of things. You can let them release him, and then you compete with four or five other teams for him, and you may not get him. Or because you've added extra seventh-round picks, you can give that team a seventh-round pick to say, we'll take them, and that way you get them cheaper and you don't have to worry about losing him to somebody else. Those picks are really valuable. And so understanding the numbers is one thing, but understanding the players that you can correlate to the numbers are key. I I thought Jimmy did a really good job, but I think the biggest thing they did is they kind of promoted a lot of what they did. A lot of that was being done, and I always did trade values. I made all of our trade value charts. Cleveland, Houston, Tennessee, we, I did all of those. And so basically what I had was from every draft position that we were in, I equated what would be the appropriate cost to move up one spot, two spots, all the way to the very, and then how much we could expect in return by moving down spots. And I constantly adjusted it. And I adjusted it based upon how I draft board look. So here's my point. You want to move up 10 spots. What do people say? Oh, I don't like that trade because a chart, a generic chart that's just generic in value doesn't tell you what you need to know. If I'm going to go up 10 spots, I'm going up 10 spots to get this specific guy. And it's worth maybe more in this draft than it would be in another draft. Whereas, at the same position the next year, I might be more inclined to move back because it's not that I don't like anybody. I just don't equate great value. It's like, remember talking about free agent value. It's understanding if a player is worth five, make sure that you hold your water and offer five and walk away if somebody offers seven. This is not a church picnic where you, you bid on an auction. Church auction is what I meant to say. You know, be smart about it because now if you end up spending seven for a player that's worth five, what do you spend on the guy that's worth seven? You spend nine and you see where you go. That's where teams end up with high cap and not very good players because they overvalue players because the market rises up their value because there's not as many good players on the market and you absolutely risk it. Well, I think in the draft process is understanding the value of where you take a player. Look, there's certain guys, they're good players, but you got to understand what the league value is and how many teams would be interested in this type of player. That'll give you a good idea of where you could get a player. You know, there were players that I had high second round grades on that I thought we could get in the fourth round. Um, Derek Mason, that I drafted one year. I had a high second-round grade on him. But because they were plentiful, I thought that we didn't need to take them in the second round or the third round. Well, we drafted three starters the first, second, third round, and we moved up a little bit in the fourth to secure Derek Mason. And, you know, he was a great returner for us. He was a great, you know, well, really good receiver, very solid receiver for years. So the point is, is you've got to maximize the value in the draft. So it's really uh, important. So great question there, Jeff. And I appreciate you joining us, Kevin. Any questions, comments, throw it out there. So I get asked a lot about the tangibles or the metrics or the workouts and why the workouts are what they are and what do we do with them and you know, what can you learn from the workout that you didn't learn from the film? Well, there are a number of things, quite frankly, that you can learn. First of all, the personal part about really looking at getting to know a player, getting to know their ability to learn, their ability to absorb information, their ability, what's what's their best learning skill? Are they a really good reader that can take it and learn it from there? Are they somebody that needs to be, they need to absorb it orally and listen to it? 
Uh, then they need to see it on the board. Then they need to see it through a walkthrough. I mean, all of those things are teaching techniques, and you do all of those things. But one player may need a little bit more of this and less of that in reverse for the other player. Coaching is teaching, and you've got to teach players individually and collectively. But when you come about putting a scheme together, you're only as good as your weakest link. Ten guys do things correctly. One guy doesn't, the defense breaks down, the offense breaks down. You've got to make sure that oh, cool, everybody's on the same page. Well, the reality is that everybody, what that really means is everybody knows their assignment. Everybody knows what to do. Everybody is seeing things the same way. That's really critical. And so you've got to spend extra time to ascertain the player's capacity and willingness to learn. Some guys have it. Some guys spend a lot more time working on it. There is a huge difference between learning how to play at the college level and the pro level. What does that really mean? Uh, the NFL is more a schematic league. It's more of adjustments. It's more of oh, the talent level is more evenly dispersed. So knowing how to adjust in-game between games really are pivotal, really something that uh, has to be studied and adjusted to. So if you have players that are going to struggle with that, that may affect how high are they up on your board, or if you do take them, you have a better understanding of how he needs to be coached. I've taken guys that had maybe learning disabilities to some degree. And they became really good players. But the real key was understanding going in from a coaching and a personnel standpoint, look, if we take this guy, here's how he's going to have to be coached, and here's what his role is going to have to be. I'm not going to mention any names, but they're, they're guys that just are very limited. You don't have to be a rocket science rocket scientist to play this game. But certain positions require more than others to learn, and certain schemes require more. And so you have to be willing to adjust that. So you learn that. The other thing is, well, what about the physical metrics? And why are you concerned about a quarterback has to be this tall or this big or that? Well, first of all, height usually doesn't change. Weight can change quite a bit. Arm length, growth spurt, those things don't change a whole lot. Flexibility can be improved. Strength can be improved. Believe it or not, speed and quickness can be improved through strength training. But the reason why we look at metrics and we measure in time and put guys through drills is because, yes, we see certain things on film that are indicators of speed, quickness, strength, what have you. But those are relative to who they're playing against, even at the highest level of college football. That doesn't necessarily translate how it's going to project to the next level. So what we do with some of these tests, it gives us an idea of how a guy measures up against previous players that have come out. And through time and through years of data, of studying it, we pretty much know if a guy is slower than a certain speed, he may struggle to play certain corner position in a certain scheme. We know that. Okay. And it's based on that. Um, you, you maybe fall short in a height category at quarterback. Well, it's not a problem. Drew Brees did it. You got some short guys. Kyler Murray's in the league. There's a reason why most short quarterbacks don't make it. If you fall short in a certain metric, like height at a quarterback position, for example, you have to have the ability to overcome that in other areas. So the answer is, well, Drew Brees is too short. Sam Mills was too short, but they were great. So therefore, every other guy that's six feet in a quarterback, hey, he's the next Drew Brees. No, they're not. Those are the exceptions rather than rules. Why did Drew Brees at six feet? was able to play well from the quarterback position because he's too short to see over 
the offensive line, it's a problem. Well, the reason is Drew Brees was an exceptional athlete, tennis athlete, played other sports, and he exploded from under center when he was in center, and he did a lot of shotgun stuff. But he exploded, and he got greater depth at the same time frame as other guys. So he got greater depth so that he can see more, and he found the throwing lanes horizontally just as well as vertically. So he found a way to see despite the fact that he was short because he had the athletic ability to do it, and he had the vision skills and know what to look for, and his pre-snap read and study allowed him to get a better feel for what he was going to see post-snap. All those things contributed to him to be able to overcome that. Does the next guy that's six feet tall, gonna is he going to be able to do the same thing? Can he overcome the lack of height the same way he did? Most cases, they can't. He don't do it as well. Kyler Murray's short. We'll see over time. Can he be as cerebral? He's even shorter than Drew. Uh, he's going to have to play outside the pocket. He's going to have to play deeper in the pocket. And if he can do those things well, and I think at times he can, you have to do it. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means how you do it's going to be different. It's going to be different. So that's important. Um, you like offensive linemen, <coughs> pardon me, to be knee benders. You don't want to be waist benders. You don't want to be stiff. It's true. Um, but I drafted John Runyon in the fourth round as an underclassman, and he was stiff as a board. Well, why can't you? Well, the reason why we like knee benders is not because it looks good. The ability to bend your knees, okay, is you're bending your knees. I don't want to get out of the picture here, but you bend your knees so that you can slide and adjust to pass rushers. If you're stiff and you overextend and you can't bend from the knees and you bend from the waist, you lose your balance and you're easily moved off from blockers. Your, your leverage is lost. So that's why we look for that. John Runyon was exceptionally long-armed and had exceptional upper body strength. So what he was able to do functionally was really lock on with those long arms and steer and drive. It's a Pro Bowl player. He was a right tackle, though. And he wasn't really good against speed guys. You know, he struggled against Michael Strahan, who didn't. The point was, the draft is not about, well, who's the best guy here or there? Yeah, that's, everybody talks about what's going to happen in the first round. And who's going to be the fifth pick? And who's going to be the sixth pick? It's just as important who you're able to find in the fourth round and the sixth round that could be starters or guys that get cut off the first guy. I mean, th those are those are you have big mistakes, you have big gets, but the consistency of knowing how to evaluate is the key in building it. Because the draft is not an event. It's a process to build a team, and it's probably the most important process. It is the most important process to building it. So those are examples uh, of guys that didn't meet certain metrics, but they met others. And understanding, okay, I can live with this, I can't live with that, that's important. If you're going to be a predominant cover two team, your corners don't have to run the same way as if you're going to play a lot of press man coverage. Why? The press man coverage or the any type of man coverage where you've got to turn and run, you've got deep speed, you've got to cover those guys. If you're a zone corner, your job is to come up, reroute receivers, and then you've got safety help. So you're not asked to do the same thing. So the skill sets are different. So it's not, okay, I give you the critical factors for each position. But understanding that you will change the order a little bit of your critical factors depending upon the style and scheme that you want. What if you're looking for a receiver? Well, what type of receiver are you looking for? Well, you, you, you just want a really good one. Well, do you want a guy that's going to play the X position, going to play the Z position, going to play the slot position? Um, you like 
all three, but, but what are you running? Are you want running more of a layered passing game? You want to more get more vertical depth? I mean, do you have a tight end that's a big slot, or are you looking for that? All those things factor in. So you you got to say a tight end that's a basically a big slot, and you want your outside guys to be more the explosive road runners. Well, then there you go. You get those Z receivers, and you play with those, and – if you want the bigger guy, you know, who's the best receivers in this draft? Well, I can tell you right now, and I'm I'm giving you a little peek into the draft board, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith are all going to be very high graded with the likely the same grade for me. Well, who do you take? What do you want? What do you do you want the bigger guy that's going to be the X receiver? then you want Jamar Chase. If you want the guy that's the speedster, that's also a great returner, you want Jalen Waddle. If you want a guy that's the most polished, that doesn't have great size, but very effective, can play in the slot outside the most versatility and the most polished, then you want Devontae Smith. All three of those guys have great skill sets at the next level but they're different skill sets. So, I mean, it's, it, it truly is like, you know, you like prefer blondes, brunettes, redheads, you, you, you're going on a car lot. You want, you know, an SUV, a minivan, um, a pickup. Well, what do you want? I mean, I know they're all price different, you know, on the car lot, but what is it that you want? Cause they're all different but they're all good and one may be more expensive than the other. And that's, that's happens in football too, but understanding that I think is really important. So the scouting, the tangibles are important as well as of course, scouting the intangibles, but the metrics are really important to be able to understand what a guy can do, what, what a guy can't do, what's his ceiling, um, learning a lot about a player in a workout can tell you something. It doesn't, it's it's not like they report to you on TV and tell you that, well, he, if he doesn't run this, he's not. It doesn't matter if a guy runs. If, if you're talking about a receiver, it, it, if a guy runs 4-2-5, a guy runs 4-4-5, it's the same thing. They meet a certain standard to play in that position. You know, because he runs a little bit faster, That that's the difference between what surface you're running, when you run, all those things. You're fast enough. Now, if you run 4-7 as a receiver, you're not playing in the league. You just, you're not going to separate enough. We know that. Okay. If you truly are a four, seven, well, the guy runs faster on the field. Well, you can see some of that. You can see separation, but remember separation is relative to who you're doing it against. I always say this. And I use this analogy. If you could take a receiver that runs four, eight, and he lines up against a corner that runs four, eight, five, that receiver will look lightning fast because by comparison, he is. That's five-tenths of a second, five-tenths of a second. That's how much it looks. So it's about being able to understand how to interpret the numbers and always look at the three-cone drill and the short shuttle for most of the positions, really tell you a little bit more athletically about, about what you're getting from a player. Really important to understand. So tangibles are important. It's a piece of the puzzle but it's not the entire puzzle and it's knowing where to put that piece and how to combine it with the other <clears throat> important factors. Um, free agency starts what to expect this week. Um, the rest of this week or next week, by the time we meet, we will have started the league year. It will have started um, the day before it will start on the 17th, Wednesday, the 17th. Starting on Monday, we will have um, a tampering period. Forget the term we use, a legal tampering period where agents and teams can begin to have discussions. Wednesday is when you can sign, and a lot of these deals that we've talked about the past few weeks become official because it's the start of the new league year. So. 
we will have discussions um, around the league. We'll keep you up to date on the gossip around the league. Uh, we're going to see some early activity. I don't know that we're going to see as much as we normally do because I do think with the cap situation being less, and remember the number is 182.5 as opposed to 198.2 in the past, um, I think we're still going to see a flurry of early activity on certain guys. But I don't think overall we'll see quite the numbers. And I don't mean salary numbers, but the overall number of players where people are going to go. And I was looking at it the other day off of who are some of the top guys. Many of them are gone. Shaq Barrett is a guy you need to keep an eye out on. Um, Aaron Jones, probably not a lot of flurry, but he'll get he'll get some interest. Uh, let's see, Harris, Galladay, Henry, Smith, Huster, Will Fuller, Richard Sherman to some degree, um, Melvin Ingram, Bud Dupree. And we're talking about some good players, not great ones. Are they going to get great money? Remember, it's you probably so because there'll be some people feel the need to go out and make some decisions that are going to transform their team or so they think, and, and rarely does it. But important to get an idea of we'll see some flurry of activity early next week, and we'll keep you up to date on it. But overall, maybe less than normal because while people have cap room, it's not as much as they anticipated with the cap number. Um, want to get into uh, a couple of questions about move on to college football and talk about NCAA investigations and infractions. And it was, I'm shortening up the question, but it had to do with, you know, situations like Tennessee recently, um, issues that have come up, certainly, the improprieties at LSU and the NCAA's infraction enforcement investigations from yesteryear to now and what has changed is I've been asked. Well, the biggest thing that's changed is that we've got attorneys that specialize in representing universities, representing coaches, representing even players now that want to transfer. And the NCAA is not faring well, faring well in these court situations. So much like at some point, there were lawyers that began to specialize in divorce law. It was the first one to say, that's a specialty. Well, they've got guys that are doing this now and doing very well. The NCAA is limited. They don't have subpoena power. You know, people will say things like, well, the NCAA can go and do what they want to do and they can levy what they want. Well, they can go in and render any decision, but now it can be litigated in court and likely lose and be costly. And so they're less likely to do it. Most of the sanctions are brought up by the school, Tennessee. We're interested in moving on from Jeremy Pruitt. There were allegations. It was self-reported. So they hand it over to the NCAA, and they will do with it as they render. But there's obviously no real threat there of Tennessee challenging it since it comes from them. They really have no case. But if you're a... Operation North Carolina in basketball, their academic scandal, or the athletic department as a whole, the academic scandal. They sued and won. There appeared to be evidence, but they lost it in court. So that's what's really changed. And you don't hear as much about, well, this or that. You still have these infractions. You still have some penalties, but they're not as plentiful as they used to be. And that's the main reason why. Um, people asked me recently about what happened in the Les Miles situation. 
in 2013 that's come up recently. Well, LSU was aware of situation. This wasn't, it could fall under lack of institutional control, but this wasn't involved in, in cheating scandal. There, there are other issues in LSU football and basketball that are un, into question on um, rules and fractions. This had to do, obviously, with sexual misconduct. And what happened was, you know, because people get this, you know, question that says, well, why wouldn't they fire less in 2013? Very simple. They're trying to cover it up. They didn't want the negative publicity. And they were having some success back then. Remember, Les had won a national title in seven, gone and played Alabama, and there was a lot of negativity after he lost the national championship game against Alabama, particularly how he did it. And there was a lot of questionable off the field issues going on with players and problems, quarterbacks, a lot of things. So there's a lot of negativity. However, in the decision-making realm at LSU, there was still a belief that at that time that less could turn it around, less could fix it, less could get them back. And, They're on the verge of signing Leonard Fournette, and there are a lot of things that they didn't want to potentially ruin. They were making a lot of money, and they didn't want this negativity. Um, The athletic director, Joe Oliva, did. You've probably heard and read about that. Joe Oliva and Les did not like one another. And so I think Joe would have absolutely liked to move on from Les for obvious reasons due to Les's behavior, but not so obvious reasons that he didn't like Les and he didn't think Les was a very good coach and he thought the inevitable was going to happen and he ended up being right. I think a lot of us in the football world did as well. But they, pure and simple, tried to cover it up. I mean, you've, hear, you've heard F. King Alexander, who was the president and chancellor of the LSU at the time, now at Oregon State, say that don't, share those same moral beliefs. I mean, basically took the, took the high ground away. I should have done this. I apologize. This, you know, it's not apologizing for what he did. He's apologizing because he got caught. He had every, they had every reason if they wanted to fire him. Yes. They would have owed him $15 million if they didn't win it in court. Correct. They would have gone to court. Was it sexual misconduct? What? Lawyers may disagree. The court may disagree. The worst that could have happened, they could have, they would have had to own $15 million. The likelihood is most of these things would have get, would have gotten negotiated and would have been somewhere met in the middle. They didn't want to spend that money. I know that's a part of it, but a bigger part of it is they were protecting something that they liked. As I said before, Tennessee moved on from Jeremy Pruitt because they really weren't happy with him. And so the NCAA issue was a convenient way to get out from paying them. And so they, that's what they did. Do you think Jeremy Pruitt, if he had won 10 games and nine games and nine games and three successive years, you think they would have made that decision to investigate themselves? Of course not. So, the investigative policies the roles are different, but that's what LSU was doing. They were <clears throat> covering up something. They didn't want it to get out. It was embarrassing. Um, how did Les Miles get the LSU job? Um, how did he avoid getting fired by LSU once? And what happened in the Michigan situation? Okay. A lot to, lot to, to get there. Um, so Nick Saban leaves to go to the Dolphins. LSU looked at a number of folks. Um, Les Miles was on Skip Bertman's initial list. The guy that shown a lot of interest. By the way, he had some reported issues with hostesses um, at Oklahoma State. But he had been successful at Oklahoma State. Not great success, but he'd done a nice job there. Um, 
Skip was looking at a number of different places. One guy that he had a serious interest in was the Jacksonville Jaguar head coach at the time, Jack Del Rio, who has a lot of Louisiana roots, married a Louisiana girl, played for the Saints. And they thought he had real interest. I, I It was my understanding and my feeling as Wayne Weaver was the owner at the time with the, with Jacksonville. And Jack was trying to gain garner more power in the Jacksonville organization. I think he was using LSU as leverage. Well, part of using you know, leverage is that the people that you're using are not on to it. I felt he was. LSU more convinced because his, his agent keeps calling. Well, of course they keep calling. That's what you do is you show the interest. Well, as LSU was in Florida, getting prepared to play Nick Saban's last game against Iowa, Drew Tate, Iowa Hawkeyes, they show up at an air, at the airport, private airport, private landing area to meet Jack Del Rio, and Jack doesn't show up. And it was at that time that Skip Burtman finally figured out some of us had told him that but that's not, this is a ruse. It's not going to happen. And, and so he, he said, I, you know, Les is a good candidate. I'm, I'm going to go offer him the job. And so he offered Les Miles the job. Um, Les had some early success, mainly due to the program that was left for him, Nick Saban. Um, there was a lot of talk about him going to Michigan twice. Quick story on that. The, the talk about him going to Michigan was, was the talk was real, but the reality of him being a, a, a candidate behind the scenes is not real. Let me explain. Les had been politicking for the job behind the scenes at Michigan with a lot of friends, a couple of big ones that were former Michigan players, um, which Les played there, of course, and he said a lot of connections. Um, and some of them were influential booster factions. And those people were really pushing for Les to get the job. And Les was working that ankle. Um, he wasn't going to get the job. Mary Sue Coleman, the president, the athletic director, um, at the time, Bill Martin, or I forget Bill's last name, um, were not going to hire him. Um, Les's reputation wasn't real good. Lloyd Carr did not like him. Gary Moeller did not like him. Uh, Bo ended up, you know, Les was negative towards Michigan when he didn't get the job and it went to Lloyd Carr. And there was a lot of things said behind the scenes, a lot of negativity, and there was a lot of philandering with Les Miles when he was an assistant at Michigan. So the powers that be did not like him. But like any institution where you are accepting money from boosters, you got to placate them to some degree. So they really, you know, they, they spoke with them through intermediaries. But what was interesting is that the athletic director and the president never spoke with less. When it came down to it, when the whole story broke and Herb Street broke it, that less is going to Michigan. The story behind the scene was quite different. So that entire week, George Bass, Les Miles' agent, was trying to get in touch with Michigan to, to see if they could get the deal, and they wouldn't return his calls. And so the story breaks on the Saturday. Some Michigan folks, some, ex, uh, some folks that at Michigan that did not want less but were more than willing to float information out there to a Buckeye, Kurt Herbstreit, that Les was going to take the Michigan job. Well, George Bass and Les behind the scenes are flipping mad because they know they've been used because they're not, he's not getting the Michigan job. He knows he's not getting it because he can't even get in touch with them. They won't even return his calls. And it gets leaked out there purposely that quote unquote, he's going to get the job. Well, it makes somebody look bad on the air, which they they were glad to do to a Buckeye. And they also 
knew that it would prompt LSU to try to keep them, and they did. And that's when the whole um, damn strong football team and all that kind of stuff. But behind the scenes, he turned Michigan down and all that, and, and Michigan made the offer, and LSU came in and swooped it. Never happened. Michigan never made the offer. The people that matter made the offer. Never made the offer, and and it it's the way it was playing out behind the scenes. How do I know that? I was involved in the uh, helping them with the search. The next time when it came up again, similar thing. Less is basically at this point using the Michigan job to leverage to get more money out of LSU. Because at this point, he's not meeting with them. He met at a local restaurant in Baton Rouge uh, the next time uh, about the Michigan job, but it wasn't. It wasn't the athletic director. It wasn't the chancellor. Those folks were not interested in Les. They do not like Les, and he was never going to get the job because the people that ultimately made the decision did not like him. But, again, to kind of placate the folks that are the boosters that were for Les, they had to say, look, we visited with them, but we're going to go with Brady Hoke. In fact, that second time, this is when they had Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke was already – I was already working. They had already put together – five or six members of the coaching staff for Brady when the rumors about Les getting the job were out there. It was total. You put something out in the media, there were guys that were already moving to an Ann Arbor to work under Brady Hoke's staff. Now, I'm not saying what they should have done or shouldn't have done. I'm just telling you what happened and how it played out. So, you know, George Bass, Les's agent, Les, use that, as most coaches do to uh, get leverage to get a job. So that's the question. That's the, the answer to the question of how you got the job and the flirtations. Now, uh, there was a call by Jeff Long, then the athletic director at Arkansas, um, or, or, or at least interest level. But it was, again, more to end up helping Les, again, get another raise. Every one of the times where there's flirtation, Les got a raise and he got extensions on his deal at LSU. And and he got more and more power. And if you look at the correlation of the power, it led to some of the decisions behind the scenes that we now know uh, that he made that were uh, very abusive of power. So that's the story there. Um, hey, we appreciate you. We uh, only had Jeff and Kev uh, come on board today in the thread. We appreciate them. We appreciate all of you listening. Uh, we'll certainly hope that you uh, join us uh, and maybe catch us live. And if you want to ask questions, you want to send it, hit contact Chris over at LSU or send it uh, to me during the show here. We will address it. Want a reminder again, check out LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of the scouting season offer special at LandryFootball.com. Also, Check out the new things that we are working on that we're going to soon have up on the website that I think are going to be of interest to you. Check out all the podcasts. Check out all the content we have regarding free agency, the draft, this time of year, recruiting for you college fans. Got it all for you there. So take advantage of the scouting season offer today. Appreciate you joining us. Um, Join us again next week on the Radio Influence family for another edition of the Landry Football Podcast. So send in your questions, your thoughts, your comments, and we'll get to it next week. Appreciate you joining us. And again, have a great rest of the week and weekend. And we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Landry Football Podcast, part of LandryFootball.com. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.